Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey, welcome to those of you who've tuned in online. Uh, thank you for joining us here in person. Uh, had no idea. That was quite shocking uh, this morning. I'm still in shock. And I asked Scott, I said, where in the world did you guys get these shirts? And he said, well, somewhere in China, I think. And um, he said, but be aware, your identity might be compromised now. And, we're, and there was some sort of thing where they could use my face to sell things in communist China. So anyway, we're not sure what's going on with that. And, and I did ask Janet. I said, Janet, where's your shirt? And she said, don't worry, honey. I got something I'll show you later. I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is. But hey, Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Good morning. <laughs> and... Um, so, <laughs> let's get started. You know, uh, one of the more uh, frustrating things about being from Charleston is that as our wonderful city keeps growing and growing and more and more people keep moving here, is that they never really seem to adequately address uh, roads, infrastructure, and schools. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, absolutely. Um, I mean, as they keep promoting our area, you know, as like the most beautiful place to live, uh, we always seem to be behind the eight ball, though, as, as far as roads and, and schools go. Well, I heard a story this week that I, find, I think finally shed some light on the problems we have here, um, at least with our roads. Um, evidently, this young guy applies for a job with the South Carolina Department of Transportation, SCDOT, and uh, his application was accepted, and he was given the job of painting the white lines on a on a nearby highway, uh, but he had to paint them by hand because, of course, you know, the machine that normally did this was temporarily out of order. So the first day, the young man paints eight miles of road. Uh, the second day, he only paints four miles of road. The third day, only two, and then on, on the, uh, the fourth day, only one mile. And uh, his supervisor, who at first was, you know, extremely pleased with this young man's performance, became frustrated, you know, as, as, as the days kept going by, and asked him why his production level continued to decrease. And uh, the young man replied, I'm getting slower and slower because the paint can is getting farther and farther away. And um, we, we, we wonder why we can't finish 526. Anyway, um, so, here's the segue. So far in our study of Romans, we've seen something similar in uh, man's relationship with God. This downward spiral as we keep getting what? Farther and farther away from God. And the reason Paul begins the book of Romans talking about the depth of our depravity is because basically here's what he's wanting to, to do. He is wanting to tear down you know, completely tear down all the excuses, all the false hopes that we have, so that eventually we will have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to look except for the power of the gospel of Jesus. So, in the very first chapter, Paul confronts us with this truth that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness of mankind who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In fact, uh, chapter one comes to a close with this long list of many attitudes and actions uh, of people who have fallen away from God and who have gotten further and further away from him. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now, as we begin chapter two, 
Paul continues in this discussion basically on the wrath and the judgment of God, but now there is a slight change of emphasis. You see, more than likely, the, Jew, the Jewish believers who are living in Rome, when they first get this letter from Paul, you know, and it's being read, they're probably sitting there kind of on the, the sidelines applauding, woo, saying things like, woo, that's right, you get them, Paul. You tell them, let those ungodly pagan Gentiles have it. That's basically what they were thinking. So anticipation of that, now in chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to the self-righteous religious Jew. Now you might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I get a free pass today, Pastor Chris, because I'm not Jewish, I'm not, you know, this, I, I don't fit into that category. I think you might be wrong. So in 2022, I believe that Paul would be talking to the self-righteous religious church member who believes that because he or she, you know, is not outwardly involved in some of the, uh, the perversion and the immorality that was described in chapter 1, that now somehow you don't fall under the same wrath or judgment of God. And, and, and you're better than those people. And so here in chapter 2, Paul is dealing with the religious person who thinks that, you know, who, who is trusting in their religion and, and, and their own goodness. You know, that they're not, they're not as bad as their, their wicked, evil coworker or neighbor. And, and they're looking down their nose at everybody else, judging everyone else. I think it applies to us. Look at with me at Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people. Again, all these people that he talked about in chapter 1. But you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these same very things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Now, Paul's argument is kind of simple. You see, the moment we criticize or judge others, we are revealing that we actually know the truth, right, about what is right and what is wrong before God. And that knowledge that we have of the truth ends up being sometimes a noose around our own necks. And it's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7 where he said, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, the self-righteous religious person looks down with condemnation at someone who may have committed adultery or murder or any of the other things that we talked about last week, and in judging that person, Paul's saying, hey, you're judging yourself. Because remember, Jesus taught, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Guess what? You're all a bunch of adulterers this morning. 
okay? Or you have heard it was said, don't commit murder. Oh, I'm not a murderer. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. We are adulterers. We are murderers. You see, the self-righteous are making two critical errors. One, you are grossly underestimating God's standard of righteousness and judgment. The standard of judgment and righteousness, it ain't me. It's not you, it's not your neighbor, not your coworker, not Mother Graham, uh, uh, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, or the Pope. It is the holiness of God. It's always doing the right thing, never doing the wrong thing. And when you do the right thing, you always do it with the right motives. Guess what? I think we all fall short of that. So we grossly underestimate God's standard of judgment, and secondly, we grossly underestimate the depth of our own sin. And 2,000 years later, we're still struggling with the same thing that Paul was talking to these Jewish believers about. Because it is a universal temptation to exaggerate the faults of others while minimizing our own. Or as Jesus said, to point out the small speck of dust in somebody else's eye while not even noticing the log in your own eye. Or to put it another way, we think that, you know, our you-know-what doesn't stink as much as somebody else's does. It's sitting in a worship service thinking to yourself, boy, he sure needs to hear this message today. Yeah. You know, I sure hope she is listening today because Pastor Chris is preaching right at her. That's what Paul is confronting here in Romans 2. And the religious Jews of Paul's day were firmly convinced that God would judge and condemn these pagan Gentiles because of their idolatry, because of their immorality, but somehow they saw themselves as above that judgment simply because, you know, hey, we're God's chosen people. So here's what I want us to do with the time that remains. I want us to look at some of the characteristics of just having religion and not having a relationship with Jesus, okay? Number one, outward appearance is more important than inner reality. Outward appearances are more important than inner reality. How many of you um, remember in high school um, dissecting an animal in biology class? Anybody remember that? I don't know if they still do that today or not. Uh, in, our, in our high school, I remember it. Maybe it was, uh, you remember sometimes it was a fetal pig uh, or a snake uh, or a frog. Uh, my personal favorite, no joke, you ready for this? A cat. I'm serious. I even volunteered to bring some in. I did. Um, don't send me an email. Anyway, um, but seriously, uh, at some point in the class, without fail, you passed around, you know, the organs or even the animal themselves, depending on their size, preserved in jars of what? Anybody remember? Formaldehyde, right. And bi biologists use formaldehyde so that they can put a lifeless organism in it and it keeps looking alive for many, many years even though that animal, that organism is actually very dead. I think that's a great but sad description of a lot of churches today and even some believers, some people who call themselves Christians because outwardly you have a form of religion 
but you got no personal relationship with Jesus. You don't know him. Outwardly, they appear alive, but inwardly, they're dead. Jesus often addressed this very same thing. And one time, he addressed a group of people who fit that description. They appeared alive, but nothing could be further from the truth. They, they, they had a faith in formaldehyde. That's what they had. They were hyper-religious people called the Pharisees, and they practiced their religion so strictly that they made everybody else miserable around them. Ever known Christians like that? Luke 11, 37 through 39, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. And then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Now, let me clarify, Jesus wasn't teaching that you don't need to wash your hands before you eat. But this was different. This, this Jewish practice of, of washing hands really didn't have anything to do with cleanliness. It was a ceremony. And the Pharisees went through this elaborate washing ritual before every meal, really just to show everybody how religious they were. And so when Jesus refused to observe this practice, his host was shocked, and Jesus accused the Pharisees of being so obsessed with outward appearances that you would ignore the heart, the inner purity. And he compared them to, uh, you know, to cups uh, and dishes that were shiny and clean on the outside, but on the inside were filthy, filthy dirty. That's exactly what Paul is addressing here in Romans chapter two. Look at verses 17 through 21. He says, you call yourselves Jews, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in the darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach the children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's laws give you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? It could be written today. You know, one sign of religion is that you feel like you're better than everybody else. You look down on people. You forget you're nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. You know? In, in Isaiah 65, God is so irritated with this, with this holier-than-thou attitude, that he compares it to a smoke that, that gets you know, stuck up in your nostril and burns all day long, it's just like a, a stench in your nose. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by what? Outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, that's powerful. So let me ask, you know, are you more concerned about your outward appearances or your character? You know, before you came to church today, you probably, you know, went through the routine, right? You took a shower, washed your hair, slipped into some clean clothes. Why? Why? Well, you wanted to look good, right? But for who? For whom? You know, now first of all, let me say this. Thank you for doing so, okay? Thank you for looking good because man does look at the outward appearances and it's a lot easier on me and everybody else to look at you when you've taken a bath, okay? So thank you for doing that. 
But God doesn't care about whether you look good or clean up on the outside. He's more concerned about what's in your heart. We can't see the inside, but God can. And Paul is telling them and he's telling us that it's quite possible that you've come to believe that your outer obedience and your list of do's and don'ts has somehow earned you favor and standing before God. But it doesn't. You, you, we've all probably heard this, this old quote. Here it goes. You can fool all of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Let me tell you something. That is a lie straight from hell, okay? That is just not the truth at all. Here's the truth. You ready for this? You can fool everybody all of the time, but you can't fool God. That's the truth. You can fool everybody all the time, but you can't fool God. You can dress up and clean up the outside all you want to, but if you're not cleaning your heart, you're not allowing the Holy Spirit of God to do his work from the inside out, you're holier than thou attitude, looking down in condemnation at everyone else is nothing more than a stench before God. Number two, rituals are more important than a relationship. Rituals are more important than a relationship. Romans 2, 25 through 27. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. Now, I know, again, what you're thinking, like, Pastor Chris, uh, circumcised, uncircumcised Jew. Well, we've got some pictures. Let's show this. No, I'm just joking. Um, let, me, um, let me explain what's going on here because I, I don't want you to miss this. Paul is striking at the very heart of the religious Jew because in their mind, this rite of circumcision was the very act that separated them from all the other nations of the world, okay? Historically speaking, for the Jew, the rite of circumcision revealed that man at his center, the very center of his nature, is sinful and in desperate need of a, of a cleansing, Okay? So this very graphic symbol of the need for the removal of sin became a sign of being a Jew. But what they failed to understand is that as important as it was to the Jew, you know, circumcision is only an outward symbol. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, listen, apart from a life of commitment and faithfulness and obedience to God, it doesn't count for anything. And you see that all through the history of the Old Testament. Apart from the inward reality, the outward ritual is nothing but, but it's meaningless. Now again, you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Chris, again, what does this have to do with me? Well, listen up. We, all, we have our rituals today, don't we? We do. You know, in the Christian faith, we have rituals, baptism, communion. Uh, some people, you know, have certain prayers they like to recite, baby dedication, tithing. We have these outward things that we do. And it is possible, it's possible that people have come to put their faith and their hope in the ritual itself. 
in, in thinking that it's the ritual that saves you and makes you right with God, not the person behind the ritual, not the relationship with the person behind the ritual. Let's, t- let's talk about it here today. You know, we're going to have communion in a little bit. Communion can very easily become an empty, meaningless ritual. If you don't personally know the man behind the meal, you know, if you think that just by your very participation in the Lord's Supper, communion, that somehow now you have been made right with God, if you're thinking that today, let me tell you something. You're just having snack time today with us. That's it. It it is meaningless. You're just eating juice and crackers. Listen, baptism, as important as that is, that can become a meaningless ritual. If you're getting baptized simply because everybody else is doing it, or that somehow you've come to believe that baptism in and of itself saves you, you're just getting wet. Now, we like the rituals because they make us feel good, they make us feel good about ourselves, and sometimes we even use them to judge other people who haven't done them. Now, don't misunderstand the point. Nothing's wrong with the ritual itself, but it's your heart. You know, prayer, communion, tithing, baptism, they're all important. They are. But it's possible to do those things for the wrong reason. You know, it's it's possible to focus on the ritual and forget about the relationship. God wants every area of your life, including the ritual, to flow out of a love relationship with him. Characteristic number three of religion Being seen by others is more important than serving God. Being seen by others is more important than than serving God. Now, there are people all over the country today who are gonna go to church for no other reason but to see and be seen. Matthew 6, Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Let me tell you something. We gotta be careful about this today. We do in in the world of social media. Now listen, we post a lot of pictures here at Coastal. It's possible to do those things, though, just to be seen by others. And Jesus says, man, you're getting all the rewards you're ever gonna get. Now, again, don't miss his point. He's not saying that the acts of kindness are bad. You know, he's not saying that serving is bad. But if you're doing it simply so that other people will notice, you know, how good you are, then you've got the wrong motive and you're getting all you're ever going to get. Again, it's possible to be religious but not know Jesus. Number four. Rigid rules are more important than love. Rigid rules are more important than love. The Jews were experts at this, making and keeping rules. You see, religion reduces our faith to a long list of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. And God had something to say about that in Isaiah 29. Listen to this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. Now today we call that legalism. Just reducing our faith down to do's and don'ts. And there are churches and there are Christians who've got rules for everything. Rules for everything. You know, rules about what people can wear, 
you know, how, how you can keep your hair, rules about drinking, about tattoos, about body piercing, about dancing, about going to movies, about listening to music, about wearing a costume on Halloween, about teaching your kids about Santa. They, they, they burden people with this long list of rules that really aren't found explicitly anywhere in Scripture. It's their interpretation of Scripture, which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Listen, there is something more important than the rule. And that's the relationship. That's love. In fact, Jesus said all the the rules of the Old Testament could really be boiled down to two. Love God with all you got, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. And what Paul was telling these religious Jews, and what I think he's trying to tell us today, is that if your rule keeping, you know, it's your rule keeping in and of itself that's not gonna save you. And if you're keeping rules, but you don't have the love relationship with Jesus, and you don't love the very people that he came to save, then you're lost. Number five, heritage is more important than the heart. That's another characteristic of religion. Heritage is more important than the heart. Back to verse 17 again. Remember he said, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. And then drop down to verse 28. For you who are, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Over and over and over again, the, the, the Jews were bragging about their relationship with God as being his you know, special covenant people. But in reality, it was no longer a special relationship. It had basically degenerated into little more than an institutional relationship. You know, instead of viewing God's blessing as this sacred trust between a gracious God, they kind of viewed it as their birthright. You know, they believed that they were blessed not because of God's grace, but because of who they were, you know, their, their goodness. And they believed that they were automatically insulated from God's wrath and judgment because of their heritage as a chosen people. Now, again, what's that got to do with us? Well, countless people today consider themselves, you know, safe, secure, from God's judgment simply because they were born into a Christian family or they were raised in a Christian home. Listen, the Bible is very, very clear. Your salvation does not come from your heritage. Your security in Christ doesn't come from your parents or your grandparents or the fact that you were raised in a Christian home. And listen, if, if you are going to church thinking that because you belong to a particular church or you belong to a particular denomination and, and you're thinking that that's going to get you into heaven, then you are just as deceived and blind as these self-righteous Jews in Paul's day. Your salvation, your security is rooted not in the ritual, not in traditions or, or heritage, but in the cross, the bloodstained cross of Jesus alone and your faith in him. So what about you? You know, again, it's easy to think, oh, woo, last week, all that immorality, I'm good. 
Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or do you simply have religion? You know, in looking back over his own life and his religion and his heritage and all the rituals and rule keeping, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter three. I want you to listen to what he, what he concluded about all of that in his past, the religion, the rituals, the rule keeping. He said this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of what? Knowing, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The word knowing there, it describes an intimate, personal relationship. For his sake, for the sake of Christ, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Now, the translators there are being very kind. The word there, uh, garbage, it actually, uh, in, in the original language, means manure, okay? You know, I count it all as, yeah, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteous, righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul says that compared to personally knowing Jesus, all of it's worthless. And there is one way and only one way to be made, to be made right with God. It's not religion. It's not rituals. It's not rule-keeping. It's through faith in Christ. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. You know, earlier Paul said, don't mistake God's kindness. You know, that, 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 you know, that you're that your wickedness and your immorality, that it really doesn't matter, that you, know, that you haven't been judged yet. Don't mistake his kindness. His kindness towards us, you know what he, what he said? It's to lead toward our repentance. Listen, Jesus did not call you home or come back again last night for one reason, to give you one more day to repent and come home. That's his kindness. That's what he's waiting for. Don't, don't fool yourself. It's not your goodness. It's not religion. It's, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's knowing him personally as your friend, your savior, and your Lord. And if you've not yet experienced that, you are just as lost as everyone in chapter one. But you can change all that right here and right now. You can come to faith in Christ right now, today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you today for your word. Lord, thank you for your patience, for your kindness. I pray today that it has led to this very moment when someone is ready to come home and step across that line of faith. Listen, if that's you today, it's about surrender. It's about just, just bow, humbly bowing the knee and admitting what, you, what you've known all along. 
that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that God loves you and he's ready to welcome you home. Just pour, pour out your heart to him right now. That's what he sees. He sees your heart. Father, I, I admit it. I am a sinner. I admit it. I need you. And God, today, I just, I, I confess, I I believe, I do, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was all along. I believe that he's your son. I believe that my sin put him on that cross and I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today, I put my faith and my trust, not in myself, not in goodness, not in a religion, but in him and what he did for me. And for the rest of my life, I just wanna follow him. I wanna become more and more like you see me today, forgiven and brand new. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.